My name is Trevor Knox. I serve here on staff at Redemption Church as the director over ministry operations. Um, growing up, I was not raised in church. My mom was a believer, but uh, we never had a consistent church to go to. And um, when I was 18 years old, I remember making the decision that I no longer believed in any of it, right? And that I would just kind of do what, do, do what I wanted to do. Um, growing up, I had a, a lot of trauma and death in my life. My uh, father passed away in 2001 when I was 11 years old <clears throat> in a drunk driving accident. He was drunk and uh, ended up crashing his car with my little brother in the back seat. He received a, a traumatic brain injury from that. And then in 2005, my stepdad passed away from cancer. After that, my older brother was thrown into prison for assault and battery. And I had just kind of given up on any idea that there was a God. And if there was one, he wasn't very nice. I had a, a lot of years of rebellion, a lot of years of struggling with anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. I got to the point where I would, I would wake up every day and just wanted to kill myself. But I always felt like I was too much of a coward to actually go through with it. So instead I would just sabotage myself, you know, whether it was through drinking, through smoking weed, through <clears throat> any, kind of, any kind of avenue and partying you can imagine, right? Just not, not a healthy lifestyle. And uh, I just kind of believed I was born to fail and I didn't really have any purpose in this world than to, to waste away. All I could think of at that time was I was still, I was still waking up with these suicidal thoughts, wanting to, wanting to kill myself every day. No rhyme or reason. Any, any time I could just drive my car off the side of a bridge and uh, these, these intrusive thoughts wouldn't leave. So I remember receiving prayer for the first time and all I could think of was for peace. I would like peace. So <clears throat> she prayed over me. I went home. And the next day I had woken up with an entirely new outlook on life that was kind of inexplainable. I had the strange desire to read my Bible, which I didn't have one. So <clears throat> I began reading my Bible, I began serving at church, um, and I've never been the same since. You know, redemption taught me, really just serving out there in the parking lot, that uh, God loves us, God loves people. God has a real heart for people, which I had never had in my life. I was a pretty selfish person. so. Believe it or not, just holding that sign out there and waving and welcoming people into a place where they might actually get to experience the same life change I had, that meant everything to me. So, uh, yeah, I found, I found a real purpose in serving and that just kept growing and growing. I got baptized in this church. I proposed to my wife in this church. I got married in this church. And now, Lord willing, I have a career in this church. And it's all because um, God loved me. God loved me and I never knew he was... I never knew what he was really about until I was around his people. Come on! Isn't God so good? Oh, amen. Hey. My name is Byron, and I get the great privilege to serve here as the lead pastor of an amazing church, Redemption Church. If you are new, if you're watching online, welcome. We love you. We're so excited to have you today. And today, we're actually going to be closing out our study through the book of Colossians that we've been calling Everyday Saints, learning who we are because of Jesus and how we can live out our new ideas 
identity within the local church. How many of you have enjoyed our study through the book of Colossians? Hasn't it been incredible? One of my favorite things to do is to preach straight through books of the Bible. If you're new to redemption, this is the way that we do things at our church, is that we pick a book, we study the book, and then we work our way through that book. So we start in chapter one, verse one, and then we work our way all the way to where today we're gonna be closing out in Colossians chapter four. And what do we do when we finish the book? We applaud, yay, that was fun. And then next week, we just begin starting a different book, okay? So that's the way that we do things here at Redemption. And I have loved the book of Colossians. Many of you, this is maybe your first time to be in a church that teaches straight through books of the Bible. I want you to know that I didn't just wake up one day and play Bible roulette and say, mm, what are we going to study? And then just, oh, we're going to do Colossians today. Like, that's not how we do it. Because every book that we study, which we've actually done about 11 books so far as a church, every book that we study actually serves a particular purpose within the life of the church. So when we started our church, we spent three years going through the book of Mark, okay? That was an incredible journey. Why did we spend three years going through one book of the Bible? Because with a lot of new people as a young church, we wanted to instill a foundation of discipleship within Redemption Church. And there were many people who were getting saved and baptized. And one of the big questions I got all the time is, is who is Jesus? And so we spent three years just telling people who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and how we can live our lives for Jesus. After that, during COVID-19, when everything was shut down and everybody was quarantined at home, we noticed that marriages were very strained and really struggling. The divorce rate was going through the roof. Pastoral care was becoming a overload for our staff and team. And so we decided to study the great love book of Song of Solomon in a series that we called The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage, because here's what God wants for your marriage. He wants less struggle, more snuggle, amen? And the whole goal, and this was what was so exciting, we got tired of watching couples fight because God doesn't want you fighting, God wants you wrestling, if you know what I mean, right? Because <laughs> after a good fight, you make up God's way, you wrestle, all right, all right? And so that's what we, that's what we want, less struggle, less, more snuggle, less fighting, more wrestling. And so that was an awkward joke. First service laughed way more than you guys did, okay. <laughs> Just so you know, you can amen, you could laugh, you can say, preach it, just don't throw anything at me, please. <laughs> so then, I don't know if you know this or not, but we just bought 21,000 square foot brand new building in the heart of downtown Beaumont, 500 seats, 30 foot ceilings, glory, hallelujah. And we bought that building because we know that God has a legacy for us as a church. So we spent several months studying the book of Joshua and learning what it looks like for us to leave a legacy, that we would hand our church off to the next generation, that your children and your children's children are gonna be blessed 
blessed because of your generosity into the church, and we are going to leave a legacy that lasts for generations because God's plan is not that his church would lease, but God's church would leave a legacy. So we study that. After we finish Colossians over the summer, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do First and Second Samuel, a study through the life of David that we're calling the gospel according to David, a character study over the great king of Israel and looking at how God has blessed him and how God desires to bless us. And then in the fall, we're going to study the book of First Peter in a sermon series that I have tentatively titled, Christians are Crazy. Okay, how many of you noticed that the way the church works versus the way the world works Christians look a little crazy right now, right? And so we're going to do a deep dive through 1 Peter, looking at some taboo and some controversial subject matter this fall. But maybe you're asking right now, okay, that's great, but why did we study the book of Colossians? Great question. I'm always so surprised that you're thinking the same thing I'm about to say. I don't know how that works, but you might be wondering why Colossians. And here's the reason why. It's because I believe that y'all are a Colossian church. When I study and read through the book of Colossians, I resonate so much with Paul's opening line. He says this, I never stop thanking God for you in all of my prayers because you're a saint. That's my prayer for you guys. Every time I pray, I am praying for you. I am thanking God for you. I love my church. I love you guys so incredibly much. Just a few weeks ago, me and Ashley, we went on vacation and we were suffering for God on the beach in Belize, okay? And you know what we were doing? We were talking about how much we love you guys. We were just talking about what, what, what God's doing in the church. We were talking about how excited we are that many of you are experiencing life change. We're talking about all the new people. Hey, do you know this person? I haven't met him yet. Do they go to the nine? No, they go to 11. Okay, well, I need to make sure that I meet him because I just, I just love my church so much. We love our church. And when I think about the church at Col- Colossae, here's what Paul says. He says, I love you guys. I pray for you and thank God for you all of the time. The Colossian church was a young church. Redemption, we're a young church. We just had our sixth anniversary. We're going to first grade. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> we're going into first grade. We're still, we're still a young church. The church at Colossae, they were a young church. And they were a church that they were still learning how to live out their identity in Christ. They were new believers. Many of you, you're new believers. You're new to church. You're still trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. There was no fights. There was no quarrels. There was no controversies. They didn't have any false teachers or heretics or anyone that they had to kick out of the church. They were just normal, everyday, ordinary people trying to figure out how to live as everyday saints. And that's what I love so much much about you, Redemption, is that you're just ordinary people. You're just, just, you're just ordinary people who love Jesus and are trying to figure out how we can live our everyday lives as everyday saints. And that's why I love you guys so much. God is doing something amazing in this church. We're, we're experiencing a special grace of God right now. I don't know if you know this or not, but our church has grown exponentially lately. Normally, whenever I travel, here's what we have conversations about amongst other pastors is, is how are you doing after COVID? Is your church growing? Have you reached back to your pre-COVID numbers? How's your small groups looking? How's your volunteer team looking? And a lot of churches are actually still struggling. Many and few churches actually have gotten back to their pre-COVID attendance numbers. 
A lot of churches are still stuck around 60 to 80%, but I want you to know, Red Redemption, we have grown over 30% since COVID, and we're continuing to grow week after week. Within the last few months, we've actually grown by 100 people since we started 2022. That's incredible. And then we look at our small groups numbers. We have 17 small groups, and they're all filled. We have about 180 people. Over two-thirds of our church is active in a small group right now. This morning, we had nearly 30 people go through our Serve 101. We had 38 people go through Next Steps and become a part of the team here at the church. There are so many kids running around the back that we actually had to create a makeshift fourth classroom because there's too many kids. Pray for our kids' workers back there because they need it. And all that shows is that there has never been a better time for you to plug into the life of the church. How many of you, let's just say, how many of you were here from the very beginning? Year one, if you came to redemption, year one, let me hear my year one people. Where are you at? Come on, give me an amen. Thank y'all so much for being patient, and thank y'all so much for, for praying. I see my man right there, first person in our church to ever be baptized right there, 2016. Come on, year one people, thank y'all so much. Who started coming year two? If you start coming year two of the church, let me hear you. Year two people. There we go. Year three people. Where's my year three people at? Come on. You sound a little bit more excited than that. We got, we got one person clapping over here. Can I get two claps? Can I get two claps? Can I get three claps over here? All right. We're starting to move now. Hey, if you start coming in the fourth year of our church, let me hear year four people. Yeah. And if you've been coming within the last year, let me hear all my new people. You know why they were louder than the others? It's because our church is growing. There's more new people than old people in the church. And that's, that's what God wants. I don't want to be a part of a church that talks about what God did. I want to be a part of a church that talks about what God is doing now and what God is going to do in the future. How many of you excited that we're not a part of a church talking about what God did back then, but we're a part of a church with a dream, with a goal, and with a vision about what God is doing, wants to do, will do, and will continue to do through you. That's the church that I want to be a part of. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. And here's what the sermon title is today. It's learning how to love your church. I am so glad that I go to a church that people love their church. How many of you love your church? You love your church? You love your church? That would have been really awkward if y'all wouldn't have applauded. <laughs> how many of you love your church? Crickets. But you... You did a good job. Thank you for amen in that. I love that you love your church. And here's the big idea we're going to see today is that God doesn't want you just to go to church. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't just go to church. Love your church. Don't just go to church. Love your church. You know, there's a difference between going to church and loving your church. Right? There's some people, they just go to church, but then there's other people that they love their church. God doesn't want you just to go to church. Here's what God wants. God wants you to love your church, that we don't go to church just to be able to consume from the church. No, we go because we want to contribute. We don't want to be spectators watching other people use their gifts and their talents and their service. We don't want to be spectators watching other people experience life change, and we walk out the door the same way when we come in. No, we don't want to be spectators 
spectators. We want to be participators. We don't want to just take from the church. We want to be able to give to the church. We don't want to just go to church. God has so much a bigger dream for you than for you just to fill a seat. He wants you to fulfill a purpose. Don't just go to church. Love it. You know, when I read through the Bible, I just don't see people going to church. You know what I see people doing? I see them loving their church. All the books of the New Testament, guess who they're written to? They're written to churches because the Bible encourages you to love your church. I know we live in a day where people like to criticize the church, tweet about the church, hashtag all the church hurt and all the problems in the church. But when I read the Bible, that's not what I see. You know what I see? I see men and women just like you who don't get bitter and leave, but they stay to be able to help make it better because they love their church. That's God's dream for you. It's not that the church would be a place that you go, but it would be a people that you belong to. Love your church. It's in the church you find relationships. It's in the church that healing takes place. It's in the church where lives are changed and destinies are altered and marriages are restored and addictions are broken and hope is found and joy is to be had and our children run around and they're raised up inside the church. In the church you find life. In the church you find health. In the church you find peace. In the church you find purpose. In the church you find the heart of God. So don't just go to church. Love it. Who loves their church? And if you're new, welcome. You're surrounded by some great people who don't only love their church, they've been praying for you, and they want for you to experience the same joy that they have right now. You're like, these people are crazy. I've never been a part of a church where people actually loved it. But guess what? You've never been to redemption. And we love our church here. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you three ways that you can love your church. How do we love our church? Paul tells us the first thing we do in order to love our church is by focusing on the mission. Here's how he picks up. Starting in verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul's writing this letter from prison that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that way you might know how you ought to answer each person. I remember when I bought my current car. Okay, I have a 2009 white hatchback Toyota Yaris. And I know what you're thinking. Pastor's rich. That's right. I became a pastor so I could get rich and buy a Toyota Yaris, all right? That's why I became a pastor. And it's a, it's a hatchback, baby. I remember whenever I went down to the dealership and I saw and laid eyes on that Yaris for the first time, I thought, I have never seen anybody drive this car before. I'm gonna be so special, unique, and be the only Yaris on the road. So bought the car, and as soon as I drive it off of the lot, I see a white four-door Toyota Yaris driving down the interstate. And I'm like, what? And then I see a red one. And then I saw another one. And I'm like, all of these people are copying me. They went out and they all wanted a white hatchback four-door Toyota Yaris just like me. But that's actually not what happened. They were always on the road. I just never noticed them before. How many of you ever like driving down the road, you always notice the person who drives the same make model of car as you? Have you noticed that? 
Have you noticed that? It's, it's crazy. But there's actually a psychological reason for this. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Say that three times fast. The Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. And here's what it is. Is that your brain elevates its awareness of things that you decide are important. So if you are walking down like a nature trail, you're always going to find your favorite flower. Or if you are in the lobby or you're out at the mall and you see somebody who's wearing your favorite sports team, right, your brain's always going to focus. Why? Because you believe that that thing is important to you. And so now your brain is focusing on what is important. And here's the reason why. It's because you always find whatever it is that you focus on. Whatever you focus on, that's what it is that you're going to find. Here's how it applies to loving your church. If you walk in the doors of the church looking for problems, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find problems. You know why? Because the church is people. And guess what people have? Problems. Guess what you have? Problems. So instead of looking for problems, you maybe should look in the mirror. All right? If you don't like getting your toes stepped on, get them out of the aisle. All right. If you're looking for issues in the church, guess what the church is going to have? Issues. Because you got issues. Why are you bringing all your issues in here? Why are you bringing it? Hey, me and Ashley, we had the perfect church before you people showed up. <laughs> it was perfect. It was just me and her. And we still didn't get along all the time. <laughs> but if you're looking for problems, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find problems. If you're looking for problems to complain about, you're going to find problems to complain about. But if you're looking for people to care about, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find some people to love. You're going to find some people to care about. You're going to find some opportunities for you to dive in, to get your hands dirty, for you to plug in, to stay connected, for you to serve, and for you to be able to make a difference. I don't want to just walk around pointing out everybody's problems. I want to come in these rooms, and I want to be able to find people to love because that's what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to love God, love people, and to make disciples. And so if you come into church and you're you're always looking for what's wrong, you're going to find some things that are wrong. But if you're looking for some people to love, guess what? You're going to be able to find some people to love. Here's how Jesus says it. He says, and the world, people are watching us. They're watching the way that we talk about each other. They're watching the way that we treat each other. They're watching as Christians how we live our lives. And they're watching us and they're wanting to know, is there something different? Are those people hypocrites? Do they practice what they preach? Do they live it out in their everyday life? The Bible says they're saints, but they're acting more like ain'ts, right? So, so they're trying to figure out. They're watching us. And here's what Jesus says. The world will know you are my disciples. How? Because of your gossip. Because of your complaining. Because of your criticizing. Because of your Instagram. Because all those Instagram stories that you share about deconstruction and church hurt and all the things that the church does wrong. Is that how the world will know you are my disciple? No. Here's what he says. By their love for one another. It is our love for each other. That is the witness and the hermeneutic and is the, the apologetic to a lost and dying world. It is the way that the church loves people. That is the mission of the church. And so instead of focusing on problems to complain about, what do we do? We focus on people to care about. If you're, if you're looking for a problem, you're going to find it because you always find whatever it is that you're focused on. So here's what he's going to give us. He's going to give us four ways to focus on the mission. The first thing he says is this, is to be prayerful. Continue steadfast in prayer. Do you pray for your church? 
Do you pray for the health, for the life, for the vitality? Do you pray for the people who are sitting next to you right now? Do you pray for the people on your serve team, in your small group? Do you pray for your church? One of the most important things that you could ever do to be able to love your church is to pray for your church because there is power in prayer. There is power in when we agree together in the Lord. There is power in prayer. And we don't just pray individually. Yes, we do that. But also every first Wednesday, we gather as a church and we pray corporately because God answers and blesses the prayer of his people. Do you pray for your church? Here's what you do. You don't just pray little simple prayers. Rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for some grub. Bless Redemption Church. Okay, you don't just pray like that. Right, we, we have concentrated and specific prayers because specific prayers get specific answers from our God. And so when you're praying for your church, pray for your, your leaders to have wisdom. Pray for people to walk through these doors and encounter a living and holy God. Pray for your small group. Pray for your serve team. Pray that the altars would be filled every single Sunday with souls saves, lives change. Pray that people would be delivered from their addiction. Pray that God would stretch his hand down from heaven into hearts and pick people up, turn them around and give them a new destiny. Pray that the spirit of God would be so present that when people come into the sanctuary, they get smacked with his goodness. Pray for your church. Pray that we would be able to give and to serve. Pray that we would move into this new building totally debt free. Pray for your church because there is power in your prayers. Pray for your church. Be prayerful. Number two, he says to be watchful. And so when you come into church, I want you to see a need and then meet that need. Be watchful. Be looking for opportunities, not for people to serve you, but opportunities for you to serve others. Instead of thinking, oh, the church is here to meet my needs, you want to walk through this door saying, I am here today to meet the needs of somebody else. I want to be watchful. It's not just the church's job to do the ministry. No, you are the church. Therefore, it is your job to do the work of the ministry. So instead of seeing a single mom saying, man, the church really should do something about that, just remember, you're the church. You probably should do something about that. Right? Don't be waiting for somebody else to cut a benevolence check when you got $20 in your pocket. Give her a Pentecostal handshake. There you go, a little 20 bucks on your way. When you see somebody struggling and wrestling with their kids to be able to get them in, and you know that they're a single mom trying to raise their family, and you see them come in, don't just look at her. No, you come over, and you bless her. You help her. You get her through the kids' check-in line. You, you help that woman. Don't be waiting for somebody else to do it. You take the ownership. You take the initiative, and then you do it. If you see the need, meet the need. You're like, the parking is just too hard to get in. Well, then join the parking team. You're like, oh, I can't find a seat. Well, join the usher team and then help other people find a seat. And as you help others, God's going to help you. You say, these chairs, oh, I just don't know. These chairs are so uncomfortable. Well, you know what? If you give us a $10,000 check today, you see the need, need the need. We'll buy all new chairs this time next week. Glory, hallelujah. Be watchful of opportunities that you can serve your church. Then number two, be thankful. Just be thankful you got chairs to sit in. Be thankful. Are you thankful for your church? Be thankful. I'm so thankful for our church. I am, I am thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for those who serve and go through next steps. I'm thankful for those of you who tithe and give. I am so thankful for Redemption Kids. I mean, my daughters, they love Kids Church. They love their leaders. They love their teachers. They talk about their teachers all the time. On Tuesday morning, my daughters wake me up. They say, Daddy, is it time to go to church today? 
On Tuesday, I'm like, baby, no, we go on Sunday. She's like, is tomorrow Sunday? I'm like, no. And then they cry because they want to go to church. That's my dream is that my daughters would grow up loving church so much. And so I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the generosity of this church. Did you know that because of your giving, Trevor gets a paycheck? <laughs> Kayla is thankful for this church. <laughs> Did you know that because of your giving, we actually adopted a school in South America through Convoy Hope's Feed One, and there is an entire village in South America who will not miss a meal this year because of your tithes and your offering. I am so thankful to be a part of a church that believes in church planting. We're gonna plant 15,000 churches in five years with the Church Multiplication Network. I am so thankful for Project Rescue because of your giving, we are actually rescuing young men and women from slavery and from sex trafficking. We actually have with Convoy of Hope people in refugee camps outside of Ukraine right now because of your giving. I'm thankful for each and every single one of you. Praise God for you. I never stop thanking God for you in my prayers. Are you thankful for your church? And then lastly, number four, he says to be relational. He says, look at, look at the needs of others. And then he says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak Walking in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of my time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how to answer each person. One of the new culture makers that we've been working on for us as a church is this, and I've been drilling it into anyone in leadership, anyone who's new to the team, anyone who goes through Next Step, Serve 101, and it is the heartbeat for the vision of who we are. And here's what I say all the time. I say, we never... Use people to grow the ministry. No, what do we do? We use the ministry to be able to grow people. We don't ever want to be a church that uses people to build our platform, to build our presence, to build our popularity. No, 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 no. We never use people to grow the church. No. What is the goal? The goal is to use the church to grow people. Every single one of you has been created on purpose and for a purpose, and God has a great purpose for your life. And it's our job as a church to be able to pull the gold out that God has placed on the inside of you. That's our job. And so we want to be relational with each and every person. We never want to use the ministry to beat people up. No, we want to build people up. And as we invest in people, God begins and continues to grow the church. We want to be relational with one another. Listen, you're not going to get relationships by showing up five minutes late and leaving early. You're just not. People come into church, they're like, well, nobody talked to me. I'm lonely. I never got to meet anybody. I never got connected, plugged in. Did you fill out a connect card and go to next steps? Did you join a small group? Right, did you just come in five minutes late and leave a little bit early? Okay, you're not gonna be developing relationships in a lobby in five minutes. What's gonna happen is you're gonna go to next steps. You're gonna make some new friends as you sit around and have dinner. Then you're gonna go serve one-on-one. You're gonna be encouraged. You join a serve team in a small group. And then there's gonna be people who encourage you, bless you, speak life into you. And you're gonna discover things about yourself and gifts that you had that you never even knew possible. How many of you are on a serve team or a small group and you could say you are not who you were six months ago because of what God's doing? Look around in the room right now. How does that come? That comes by relationships. So how do you love your church? By loving people. Because that's the whole mission of God is to love God and for us to be able to love people. 
So instead of focusing on problems, here's what you focus on. Focus on people. Instead of complaining about problems, start caring for people. Because that's the purpose of the church anyway. Church is not a building. Church is not lights and sound. Church is not any of the things that we have. You know what the church is? The church is you and me gathered together, making much of Jesus, loving God, loving people, and making disciples. That's the purpose and the mission of the church. And so if you want to find problems, you can find some problems. But if you're looking for some good people, guess what? At Redemption Church, we got some of the best people around. Praise the Lord for you. Second thing we see is this. Find your people. He continues, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to give a big, long list. He's basically going to give a shout-out. It's a serve team shout-out. If you come in the morning, we have our huddle, and in the huddle, we always just give shout-outs. Hey, what's God doing in your life? What's God doing? Shout-out this person, that person. It's basically a big, long list of shout-outs who make the church special, and so I'm going to read this whole section, and I'm going to pretend like I can pronounce the names, okay? So if I don't pronounce it right, pretend with me. Okay, don't laugh at me if I can't pronounce it, but just say, oh, yeah, he must have learned that in Bible school. All right. <laughs> like, I spent $30,000 on a degree, and I still can't pronounce people's names in the Bible. Didn't take a class on that. Tychicus. See, I told you they're hard. Tychicus. You got to say it like that, too. Tychicus. I would hate to be his mom trying to get him in trouble. Tychicus, come here. Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you. All about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that he may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are some of the men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, that's their pastor, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. And for those in Laodicea and Erpopolis, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also in the church of Laodiceans and see also that you read the letter from the Laodicea. That's the book of Ephesians, by the way. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill Fill your ministry that you have received in the Lord. Okay, now I know what you're thinking. You're like, I have no clue who any of those people are, and I don't know why their names are in the Bible. You're probably like, why is this important? I know who David is, I know who Noah is, I know who, who, who Paul is, but I don't know who Archippus is right? Tychicus? I don't even know who this guy is. And so normally when we read these portions of the Bible, we read it and we're like, okay, move on to the next thing. But I want you to know something. Even though you don't know these people's names, God does. You might know who David is. You might know who Moses is. You might know who, who, who Paul is, but you know who's famous in heaven? Archippus. Because God knows his name. There is no one in the church who is more important than other people in the church. In Paul's church, Nympha was famous. In God's eyes, Onesimus was famous. 
We need to get over this mindset of celebrity pastors or this idea that it's the staff's job to do all of the ministry work and get this idea that I'm just a normal, ordinary, everyday person. I don't have a place to belong in the church. I don't have a big role. I don't have a place to fulfill. They don't really need me. If I don't go this Sunday, nobody's going to miss me. You got to get out of that thinking. Because here's what we recognize in the church is that there is no small roles in the kingdom of God. There are no little people in the kingdom of God that everybody's a VIP. Everybody is a very important person when it comes to the father heart of God. God does not play favorites when it comes to his kids. And Archippus is just as important as Paul. Because if it wasn't for Archippus, we wouldn't have Paul. Paul couldn't do what he did unless these men and women did what they did. Here's what you need to know, is that the church is not built on the talents of the few, but on the sacrifices of the many. Redemption Church is bigger than one person. Redemption Church is all of us working together in unity, sharing the load, praying, giving, serving, blessing, and taking ownership of our church. The church is not built on the talents of the few. I might be able to preach, but I cannot play guitar or sing. You said that too loud. (laughs) Jesus loves it when I sing. She does not. You would not. Jesus has special auto-tune ears. Right when my, when my voice goes into heaven, it makes an angelic sound. But when it's in this room, ain't nobody coming to church next week, right? <laughs> but praise God for that because we have a team that fulfills their purpose and their giftings that blesses the church. We have greeters and ushers and parking team and kids workers, and it's everybody playing their part to be able to see the church flourish and grow. The church is not built on the talents of the few, but rather it is by the sacrifice of the many. When you read this, you're like, I don't know who these people are, so let me, let me help you read this. Let's reread it by placing other people's names in there. When I read it, instead of Tychicus and Onesimus, what I read is I, I read Bobby and Vanessa Clay. Come on. When I read it, this is what I, I read. I read Gabriella and her sister Kina. I, see, I, see, I read it as Anna. Thank God for Anna, a blessed servant and a, and a faithful friend. I see Alex Summers. When I, when I read it, I think about Tim and Marissa. When I read it, I, I think about Lorena. When I read it, I think about Sean and Miranda. When I read it, I think Kristen Hale. When I'm reading this, I'm thinking about the people who are in my church and how grateful and thankful that I am for Andy and Holly Joyner. These are people, real people that really matter to a real God. And they really had their lives changed because they served in their church. And they made the Bible. How did they make the Bible? Simply by loving their church. And because they love their church, here we are 2,000 years later talking about Tychicus. <laughs> and many of you, you feel that way. You feel like, I don't have a lot to give. I don't have a lot to offer. I'm just a single mom doing the best I can. I just, I just uh, work at the plants. I, I'm just just an ordinary person. I'm unemployed right now. I don't have a lot to give. But you know what you do have? You have a gift that's inside of you. You have a purpose. You have a place in this church. And as you love your church, you're going to discover life change like you never believed possible, simply because you love your church. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce you to 10 people. 
that you're going to find in the church. And I want you to ask, am I one of these persons? Does this represent my story? And then I want you to think about the people in your small group or the people who are sitting next to you. And I want you to think, oh, like that's, that's this person. That's so-and-so. I know this person because these are the 10 people you find in a church. The first person you find in a church is one with a, a servant's heart, Tychicus. He says he's a, he's a servant. Actually, Tychicus is, is Paul's assistant. His job was to go find pen and paper while he's in prison. That's Tychicus' job. But you know what? He, he served faithfully. He served well. And if it wasn't for Tychicus, guess what? We wouldn't have the book of Colossians. We would be missing a book of the Bible if this man didn't just say, I got some pen and paper. You think that's not a big deal? He got pen and paper. Oh, yeah? Well, now we got the Bible because he was faithful to serve. Do you have a servant's heart? You may not even think about your small, simple action and contribution to the church could transform and change a person's life forever. I hear stories all the time about our greeters, people who have given up on the church. There's one man said, I was going to commit suicide, but I was raised in the church, and so I decided I'm going to give God one last shot. Walk through the doors of the church. You know what he said? He said, the moment that somebody shook my hands, I knew that God was real, and he's been in this church now for two years. A greeter saved his life. Simply by saying, good morning, you matter. Changed his life forever. Do you have a servant's heart? Tychicus had a servant's heart. The second thing is we meet people with a sinful past. Onesimus, he was a slave who ripped off and stole from his master, ran away, and was living on the run. He was a crook. He was a thief. He was a, a sinful person. And then he goes into a church, meets Jesus, and everything in his life changes, so much so that Onesimus actually becomes a leader in the early church. The book of Philemon is actually about him, where Paul's writing to his master saying, I will pay off his debt. He is a brother in the house of God now, because in the father's family, there are no slaves. There are only sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And so Onesimus goes from being a person with a sinful past to a great leader in the church. This is so prevalent in the life of redemption. Like we got some people in this church with a sinful past, just so you know. I mean, you walk through the doors and some people, you're like, they don't belong here. You look at some people and you're like, I have never been to a church with people like this in because we started a church for people who don't go to church. And so, so that's why we started a church. I mean, we got people who serve in the parking team who they can help you park the car, but they could also break into your car, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right, they're from the south side of the kingdom. <laughs> they got a little more sanctification they're working on. But this is, this is, this is a part of my testimony, though. My mom, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet her, but she always just tells people straight up, she's like, I'm Byron's mom. <laughs> I was introducing her, somebody was at the, coming in, a new guest last week, and she, the, she works at the Connect Desk, and I was like, okay, let me help you get connected, this is, this is Angel, she goes, who am I? I said, you're Angel, she said, but who am I to you? <laughs> and I was like, you're my mom. <laughs> and then she gave me a kiss on the cheek, I was like, mom, stop it, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. <laughs> But you know, my mom's story is, is very special to me because my mom had me when she was, she was 15. And when they went to go dedicate me as a baby in the church, 
the church said no. And they, they wouldn't let me be dedicated. And that caused a deep wounding in my mom's life to where she left the church. She became addicted, an alcoholic. She was in abusive relationships. She gave me and all of my siblings up for adoption. And she was in and out of prison for my entire life. I barely had much relationship with her. And then she came to Redemption Church, and two years ago, this happened. I got to baptize my mom. Don't tell me what God can do. 36 years later, my mom not only is baptized, she is in a small group, she is on a serve team, she works at the Connect Desk, and she has her best friends in the church. She has been delivered from her alcoholism, she's active in a group. I mean, my mom's life has changed forever. And some people would say she doesn't belong in church, but I say, this is the best place for her. Yeah. to baptize my mom. You find people with sinful past. Number, number three is you'll find people who have a similar situation. He talks about this man who is his fellow prisoner. This guy was in prison, and he still made the Bible. Some of you right now in your life, you may feel like you are in prison. You feel like your life is a mistake, and all you are is the greatest regrets that you have, the pain and the hardship. You feel as if you're in prison, but I want you to know is that in this room, there are people who feel exactly the same way, that there are people in this room who are in a similar situation as you, and if you're in that situation, you don't have to go through it alone. The only thing that's worse than suffering is suffering alone. The only thing that's worse than sitting in prison is sitting in a prison by yourself. Don't think that you are alone. You've got people in this room in a similar situation. If you're going through a divorce, get, take a number. There's like 10 of y'all who are struggling with this. If you got cancer, we got four people in our church right now with cancer. You're not alone. If you lost a loved one, we got others in this room lost. If you're battling addiction, there's people in this room who are battling addiction right now. You don't have to go through it alone. There's other people in a similar situation as you. The fourth thing that we'll find is people's surprising future. There's John Mark. He talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who actually got fired by Paul. 15 years earlier, Mark couldn't hang. Work got too tough. He went home. He abandoned Paul in the mission field. Paul's like, I don't want to work with him. I don't like him. You take him, Barnabas. But Barnabas brought him in, and Barnabas saw something in Mark that nobody else saw. And 15 years of developing and working on him and, and, and strengthening him, put a little steel in his spine, a little courage in his step. Eventually, Mark, who was fired by Paul, writes the very first book of the New Testament. You know what it's called? Mark. Some of y'all said that like it was a question. <laughs> You're like, was it John? <laughs> it was Mark. We taught through Mark for three years. Do I have to do that again? Okay, another 71 weeks through Mark, starting next week. No, None of, no one would have thought that this young man who got fired by Paul would go on and write a book of the Bible. That's what God does, though. God takes people that get overlooked, and he makes them into somebody of influence. Never judge a person by where they start. Always wait and watch and see how well they finish. 
Mark had a surprising future. Number five, people with a strong commitment. He talks about this man here named Jesus. How many of y'all love Jesus? Not that Jesus. It's a different man named Jesus. How many times do you think he got confused for Jesus? They're like, hey, what's your name? He's like, my name's Jesus. I've heard about you. Oh, hey, do that. Let me see that. Let me see that right there. Let me see that right there. Right there. Hand it to me. Hand it to me. Can you do that water thing into wine? Come on, Jesus. Could you do that for me? Not that Jesus. Oh, dang it. Just call me justice. There you go. But anyway, he says he was a, he was a person of great comfort. He's a person of strong commitment because Paul had enemies. And his enemies were known as the Judaizers or the circumcision party, which is not a party I want to go to. I've been to a lot of parties. Never been to a circumcision party. Right? You're like, hey, would you like to come to my party? What kind of party is it? Last time I showed up, I was just like, nope, got to get out of here. There you go. But every time they would show up to Paul's churches, they would always bring division and controversy. They would criticize him and ridicule him. They're the reason that he was in prison. And so all the religious leaders, they opposed him, except for this one man, a brother of the circumcision. His name was Justice. And every time someone criticized Paul, Justice had his back. Every time people abandoned Paul, Justice was always right there by his side. Every time he went to prison, Justice was putting money on his commissary. That's, that's who justice is. If you have a friend like that, they're a rare find. The Puritans used to talk about people called swallow friends. Swallow friends are whenever the summers come, man, they just fly in. Life's great. Life's good. Can I borrow $20? And then when winter comes, you get sick. You go through marriage problems. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, I'll pray for you. Over here, far, far away from you, I'll, I'll be praying for those friends. People say, during hard times, my friends left me. Listen, hard times... Don't just cause your friends to leave. Hard times just really reveal who your true friends actually are. You have very few people in your life who are like a man like Justice with strong commitment. Me and Brandon Stacy, I don't you know if you're new or you, he plays on our, our team. He's also a part of our, our leadership team here. He came to my 16th birthday party. That's when we met. And he's been a part of this church with his wife, Courtney, ever since the very beginning. He actually got saved together with me at one of our first small groups. And we've been best friends ever since. Our children grew up together. I got to be at their children's baby dedication. I performed their wedding. And they're best friends and near and dear close friends with me. And we've gone through hell. And we've also touched the throne of heaven together. Those friends are very rare friends. And you'll find those types of friends in the church. Number six is people with a a similar passion. He talks about Epaphras. This 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 is me. Epaphras is the pastor of the church at Colossae. What does he say? He says, he labors intensively for the prayers that each one of you would be mature in your calling. That's what me and Ashley do. We just pray for you. We love you. We want to see you succeed in everything that you do. We want God's best for you. We want to see you flourish and thrive. We want to see you accomplish the dreams that God has placed inside of each and every single one of you. This is what our staff does. We pray for you all the time. I don't know if you know that. Every guest who fills out a Connect card, the first thing we do on Monday mornings is we pray over those Connect cards. Whenever we have people in our church who are struggling, they text us, we pray for them. We do marriage counseling. We do, we do divorce care. We sit there, we pray for sick people. And that's what we're doing. We're just praying and blessing you. We're not in it for the fame or the notoriety or the money. We're in it because we love you. 
And we wanna see God's best over your life. You know what the single passion that, that we have is this? Our single passion is you. Like you have your job and you have your kids and your family and different things that your, 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 your attention sometimes can be and feel a little bit divided, right? But you know where our focus and our attention on? Our focus and attention is we get the privilege. That's why I always say leadership is a privilege at redemption. And we get a privilege to care for God's people. Do you know how valuable you are? You're so valuable that God shed, sent his son Jesus to shed his blood. The most precious thing in the universe is the blood of Jesus and he gave his own blood to purchase you from sin. And you know what? That means you are so precious to us. And our passion is to be able to serve you. That's what passion, that's my singular passion, is to see you become who God created you to be. Number seven, it's people with a special, special talent. Okay? He talks about this man named Luke. How many of y'all are double-jointed? Okay, Luke was not double-jointed, but that's cool to know. <laughs> he was actually a physician. He, he was a doctor. By all accounts, he's not a pastor, he's not a preacher, he's not an apostle, he's not a bishop, he's not a miracle worker, he's just a, he's just a doctor. But yet, he is important. By all accounts, he's not somebody who would get hired at a church. But yet, here we see is that he is a companion to Paul. And some of you, that's how you are. Like, you, you look at the church and you think, well, I don't, I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I can't pronounce any of the names in the Bible. Guess what? I can't pronounce them either. But you're still important because the church is not just the, the, the leaders. The church is the people. And Luke was so incredibly important to Paul. He's got a very special talent. You got a special talent. We got to get over this idea of, of, of paid vocational ministry is the only ministry a person can be in. If you're a single mom, that's your ministry. Love those kids. If you're a stay-at-home mom, that's your ministry. If you work in the plants or the refineries, if you're an educator or a teacher, you got to understand that that is your ministry. The same way that Luke saw his ministry was to be able to be a physician. You need to see that your ministry as well is at the workplace, is at your home, is at the gym, is at the coffee shop. Wherever you're at, that's where you are. And God has a purpose for you right there in that place. That's your mission. you got a special talent. Every single one of you got a special talent. Number eight, we meet people with a sad ending. There's a man named Demas. You think, he made the Bible. Demas made the Bible. But he didn't, he didn't make it to the end of his race with Christ. Because the next time we meet Demas, he's in the final book to be written, 2 Timothy. And here's what Paul says. He says, come see me. Why? For Demas and his love with this present world has deserted me. How tragic is it that Demas made one book of the Bible, but in the next time he's mentioned, because his love for the world, he deserted his faith in God. You know, I see this all the time. It's one of the hardest things for me as a pastor. As I see people, they come into the church, they get a little excited, they get a little fired up, maybe they get baptized, maybe they get in a small group. But then when something happens, whether it's through a disagreement, whether it's bitterness or offense, or whether they just like the flashy, shiny things of the world, whether they stumble across something in the Bible that they disagree with, eventually here's what they do. They say, they, they leave the church. And I can tell you something, 
is that I have never met a person leave the church and grow closer to God. Never seen it. I've never seen a person leave the church and have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. But here's what I see all the time. When people leave the church, not just our church, to get plugged into another church, when they leave the church at all and become bitter and they gossip and they complain and they start criticizing about the church, here's what happens. Their life falls apart. I've seen it over and over and over again. Leave the church, marriage falls apart. Leave the church, financial wreck. Leave the church, loneliness, depression, anxiety. Leave the church, and all of a sudden, things begin to fall apart, and they start loving the world. They compromise their beliefs. They compromise their convictions. They put themselves in some risky places. They know they ain't got no business belonging in, and all of a sudden, take it six months to maybe two years. Their heart is so hard, they don't even answer phone calls from their friends. I've seen it. People like Demas who they make one book of the Bible, but they don't make it to the end. And they have a sad ending. Like our church is old enough now to where those people start coming back. I mean, we're starting to get many of them and they say, Pastor, you know, the moment I left the church is the moment that things begin to change in my life. It's been a year, it's been two years. Some people, it's been four or five years. Some of y'all, the reason you're in this church right now is because you know the pain that causes whenever you ran away from God. Praise God that you're here. We love you. I've been praying for you for a long time. Thank you for coming back. But I can tell you, Jesus had a Judas. Paul had a Demas. And the sad thing is, is that every church also has Demases too. And so you wonder, well, what do we do about people like Demas? You know what we do with people about Demas? We love them anyway. You know why? Because we never know Who's going to be a Demas? And if you spend your whole life thinking that anybody could possibly abandon you or desert you or betray you at any moment, you're going to build so many walls up, you're never going to let anyone actually in to be your friend. I don't know who's a Demas, but I do know that I've been called to love everybody. And if they leave, we bless them. We say, God, they belong to you anyway. Lord, would you just believe by God's grace that that gospel seed is inside that heart and if it takes two years or five years or 50 years, would you bring them back into a saving relationship with you? The ninth thing we see is this, people with a spiritual gift. Talks about this woman named Nympha. She opened up her home. That's the spiritual gift of hospitality. She also had a spiritual gift of generosity and giving. She had a spiritual gift of leadership and organization, spiritual gifts of helps and of service. Every single one of you also have a spiritual gift too. The moment you got saved, God deposited a supernatural endowment of power through the Holy Spirit known as a supernatural spiritual gift. Every single one of you has a gift that is inside of you, and you only discover what that gift is whenever you say yes to serving in your church. Then lastly, number 10, is people with the next step. I know it doesn't start with an S. It's the only one that didn't start with an S. I tried so hard. We had a whole staff meeting to try to figure out which one could start with an S, and we couldn't find it. So we're just going to put next step. Then there's this guy. His name's Archippus, right? And then I love what it says here. It says, oh, yeah, tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry. Basically, Paul's calling this guy out for not doing his job. I mean, just read it. You're like reading this in church. You're like, oh, look, shout out to Luke. Shout out to Mark. Shout out to Onesimus. Shout out to Archippus. What does it say about me? It says, um, get to work. (laughs) You're like, ah, dang it. Like he got called out in front of everybody. Why? Because he had a next step that he had not yet taken. 
Every single one of us, we have a next step with Jesus. You know that? Because when you're walking with Christ, you never have, you never run out of next steps. You never run out of a next step when you're walking with Jesus. And I know that every single one of you, there is something that God has told you to do that you still have not yet done. There's an area of growth in your life that you're resisting, that you're hesitant towards, that you're disobedient to God in taking that next step. Some of y'all, your next step is the first step called baptism. And you still have not been baptized yet. So just like Archippus, I would tell you, get busy <laughs> taking that next step. Some of you, your next step is actually next steps. Some of your next steps is a small group or a serve team. Maybe it's to start tithing. Whatever your next step is, be like Archippus and take that next step. And here's one of the best ways you can love the church is by always taking your next step. Never being stagnant, but always taking that next step. That's how you love your church. Listen, people ask me all the time, they say, they say Byron, what makes redemption so special? And when I go to conferences, when I'm out traveling, whenever I'm meeting people in the community and they say, Byron, I see what God is doing at redemption. What is it that God is blessing? What is it that God is doing? What makes redemption so special? You know what I tell them? Hands down, every single time. You know what makes Redemption Church so special? Me. I don't say that. I don't say that. You know what I say? I say it's people like you. It's the people that make the church special. It's people like you that make the church special. You know why Paul loved his church so much? Because he loved the people that were in the church. And so you might read this and think Onesimus and Tychicus, but when I read this, I think Taylor Masters. When I read this, I think, I think Brittany Bergeron. When I read this, you know, you know who I'm just, I'm just so incredibly thankful? It's Sandra Sasser. When I read this, it's not just names. These are real people in my life. These are real people. Ashley Matt, Doug Champagne, real people. Real people in the church. Colin Taylor, real people who are loved by a real God. Daniel and Colleen Humberson, real people who made a real difference. Why? Josh, why? Because they love their church. Brian, because they love their church. Dot, because you love your church. Real people, real names who made a real difference because they didn't just go to church. Oh, no. They love their church. And the world has never been the same since. Which leads to the final point, number three, finish well. He closes this. I write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. How did Paul start the book? He said, grace be with you. How does he end the book? He says, grace be with you be with you. He ends the book the same way he started the book because it's all about grace. Who deserves any of this? Nobody. But yet God gives it anyway. That's what grace is. Grace is a free gift. It's undeserved, unmerited favor that comes from God. You don't earn your salvation. He gives it to you. Your works do not make you a saint. It's Jesus' finished work on the cross that changes your destiny, gives you that identity that is saint. 
How do we become Christians? It's not by works. It's not by effort. It's not by trying hard or morality. How do we become Christians? We are only saved by grace. It starts with grace and it ends with grace. So here's what I want to do as I close. I want you to write this down. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us. You walked in for the first time at church or maybe through a conversation with a friend, you gave your life to Jesus. You were saved by grace, but how do you make it another 50 years? You know how you do it? It's that same grace that saves you is the same grace that will sustain you to the very end. There's a doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints. It means that saints endure through hardships and trials to the end. And you may be going through a hard time. Paul writes this from prison. Remember my chains. Life was not great. Life was not good. It was a difficult moment for him. But yet, what does he do? He remembers the same grace that saved me is the same grace that will sustain me. How was the church at Colossae planted? It was planted by an act of grace. A handful, a dozen people all got saved at the same moment, formed a church. It was the grace of God that saved them. How did the church continue to flourish and grow? It was through the grace of God that sustained them. Six years ago, Redemption Church started as an act of God's grace. And through God's goodness and his graciousness, we have continued to grow from 10 people in an old town apartment to now we have this brand new building that we're going to be moving into next year and look at all the people who've experienced life change. How do we do that? It started by grace and it will be sustained by the grace of God. Finish well. Finish well. How do we finish well? By the grace of God.